All right. That was awesome. Hey, good morning. So, <clears throat> I don't know this trick you guys play every Sunday, but two minutes before 1030, I'm like, where's everybody at? And I turn around to do something, took back, and then this place is filled up. You guys like the surprise, don't you? Hey, it is good to see you. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Mark Tanner, and I want to welcome you on behalf of Grace Fellowship this morning. It is wonderful to see you. Uh, we are going to be focusing on Philippians today, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, if you'll turn there. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. We're going to dive right into God's Word this morning. All right. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Man, we have a powerful, powerful text today. It's interesting that the majority of this verse verse is Paul expressing his affection. If you recall, in the very first part of this letter, Paul does the same thing. He expresses his affection towards these brothers and sisters whom he loves he loves this church, but he says something profound in this first verse as he's expressing these affections. He says, stand firm in the Lord. And I got to tell you, I love that Paul starts with that because that's where it begins for all of us. Before anything can move on, where are we standing? In fact, Philippians 1.27, uh, I know we're going to get that put up for you. Philippians 1.27 It's coming, people. Trust me. <clears throat> All right. The reason I wanted to place this verse is because Paul is echoing this again. He's saying, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Church family, we take our stand in the Lord, and we're going to learn a lot more about what that means today. <clears throat> Taking a stand and standing firm, it's the single-minded focus on Christ. It's the single-minded focus on our object of affection, that is Christ. Because without that focus... Without that focus, if we take our eyes off, we can drift off course very easily. Where can we drift? We can drift over this way towards false teaching. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. These itching ears want to hear a little more about that. Or we can drift this way, confidence in the flesh. I can handle this, God. I can do it. It is easy when we lose our focus to drift off course, and that's why we must stand firm in the Lord in the single-minded focus. So, this stands involves you and I in one spirit. It involves one man, uh, excuse me, one mind, and it involves standing side by side. And that may sound elementary, but it's tougher than we make it. I'm telling you right now. So, every time I researched this and I read about this passage, Standing Firm, 
I couldn't help but have this picture painted in my mind. Since Paul is in Rome, he is imprisoned, I thought of a Roman soldier. And I kept thinking about standing firm. How can I explain this? Well, the footwear of a Roman soldier, um, well, they had to purchase this. This was not government issue. They had to purchase it. But they could buy what we'd consider cleats or metal spikes, metal studs. They could get these on the bottom of their shoes. All right? And what happened was it prevented their footwear from uh, prolonged wear and tear. It, it, It preserved them more. It also was to step on their enemies during battle. But the cool thing about these spikes, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but when Roman soldiers would stand side by side, their shields would lock. They were designed to connect to each other, to build this wall, this impenetrable force. And if you had these shoes with the cleats, with these studs, you could be grounded into the earth more. Your, front, your stance was more firm, so you didn't slip and slide as people began to battle with you. And that's the image I want you to picture. Now, if these two soldiers are in conflict, or if one says, I don't want to stand next to you, I want to go down to my friend down here and hook my shield to his, now we got a hole, we've got a gap. Are we standing side by side? No, we are not. Therefore, that wall, that force is going to fall. So I wanted to paint that picture for you of what it looks like for you and I as Christians to stand firm together because it is side by side in one spirit and one mind. So, it stands, again, one spirit, one mind. That's what's involved in this. But why is Paul bringing this up? Why is he reminding this church? Because he's talked about this all throughout this letter. Why, Paul? Well, we have two fellow workers of Paul that have experienced and are experiencing conflict. Um, It's obvious that it is a serious situation because it's made it all the way to Rome. It's made it to Paul, who was shackled to a guard in Rome. And why another, another reason it's serious? Because it made it back to Philippi in the letter with the two ladies mentioned by name. And isn't it interesting that we don't know what the actual conflict was, but just naming the names, probably everybody in Philippi did know, right? Kind of like a small town deal, right? Oh, you those two? Yeah, I know what it's about, right? It could be easily something like that. But Paul wants Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He states first that we should be standing firm, and then he comes to them and he entreats them, please agree in the Lord. Now, again, Paul Paul does not reveal the tension between these two. He does not reveal it. We don't know what it is. We can only speculate, and there's no reason to. We just know that there's conflict. But he wants to remind them of a principle that he stated earlier in his letter. Philippians 2, verse 2 says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. This exhortation from Paul is an application of the gospel. Get this, are you ready? Reconciliation is a gospel application. It's relevant for all life, including personal conflicts. And conflict stinks. You want to talk about conflict for a sec? Conflict stinks. Many people look at conflict and and kind of embrace it in a different way. Some run from it. Ooh, uh -uh, I know who's fighting. I'm not touching that, right? Some run towards it like me. I want, hey, hey, let's nip this thing in the bud. Let's get it knocked out and move forward. Done. Some ignore it. Oh, it'll go away. It's going to go away on its own. Trust me. Don't, don't, don't say anything. It'll go away on its own. On its own. No. We all face conflict in different ways. It's true. It is true. And the problem with that is sometimes we tend to sweep things under the rug. Now, if we let it go, just like Yodia and Syntyche are facing right now, you guys know that conflict can fester. It can infect It can build to something bigger than it ever was in the first place, right? So Paul is saying, please, please agree in the Lord. I love this verse. Well, actually, before I read this verse, I want to say something just paramount today. 
I've heard it said, maybe you've heard it said too, that if we are to have gospel reconciliation, right, if we are to have that, it requires something. To be reconciled by the gospel requires gospel thinking. Have you ever thought of it like that? To be reconciled in the gospel requires gospel thinking, and that is exactly what Paul is saying to, I'm so sorry, this thing's driving me nuts today. That's exactly what Paul is saying to these two ladies. 1 Corinthians 1.10, we'll put it up there for you. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Ephesians 4, the very first three verses in Ephesians 4 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, you ready for this? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul wants these two to recognize what they share. As they look at each other, recognize their identity in Christ, right? Recognize the saving benefits they both have in Christ. But recognize them in each other. This is what Paul is asking them to do. You know, Concerns will have to be discussed. Let's face it. Of course we're going to have disagreements and conflict. But concerns have to be discussed. Confessions have to be made. Forgiveness has to be granted. All this is true. Relationships are complicated. Relationships are complicated. But, again, we don't sweep these things under the rug. No. We work out our salvation together and that includes you and I agreeing in the Lord. Who is this true companion? Ever read this and go, man, I want to know who that is. I'd love to be able to insert my name in there and say, yeah, Mark Tanner, you're a true companion of Grace Fellowship. I need you to help. Wouldn't you love to insert your name in that? We don't know who this true companion is, but he or she has got to be a peacemaker, right? Listen to what the Scripture says. They've labored side by side, both these ladies. They have strived side by side with Paul for the gospel. Their names are written in the book of life. So if these two have labored, if they have contended for the gospel, then they should be able to be reconciled in the gospel. I mean, think about it like this. When they get to heaven, this will be reconciled in heaven. This garbage is not following you to heaven, by the way. Oh, no, the garbage stays here. They will be reconciled in heaven, so why not be reconciled now? In fact, there's another verse in this beautiful letter of Philippians that I want to use kind of as a thesis for you and I. Let's make it our thesis today. Philippians 2.15. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Folks, here's the thing. In a fallen world, outside our doors, conflict is everywhere. It's everywhere. When people enter these doors into this building, they would love to experience something different. Does that mean we can't be in conflict? No, it's just it's about how we address it and how we overcome it. So when they walk through these doors, do they see lights shining or do they see just us blending in? Oh, come on in. But we, we look just like outside. We look exactly like outside, but we're in here. No, the Bible says you need to stand out as lights in this crooked world. We stand out as lights. So what the connection to this verse is, is that these two are reconciled so that they continue side by side in the gospel. Remember my guards? Remember my soldiers lined up, shields hooked up, feet locked into the ground, standing firm? So to agree in the Lord, to be of the same mind, to think the same thing, if you don't hear anything else, hear this next line. All that in play. 
The goal here is to transform this disunity and conflict back to gospel partnership. You hear that? We are to take the conflict that causes the disunity, right? Apply gospel thinking, apply gospel knowledge, even if a true companion has to step in and help us, and we are to return to gospel partnership. Yodia and Syntyche have got to hear these words. This is what Paul wants for them. You labored side by side with me. You should not be apart. Reconcile, because you're going to reconcile in heaven anyway. You might as well reconcile now so that we can further the gospel. I want you two back in a gospel partnership. Woo, that makes me, I got goosebumps. Okay. So, Paul wants them to get rid of just the pettiness, right? He wants them to get rid of the animosities, the differences, and he wants to make the Lord the great object of their affections again. I don't know where they're looking with this this battle. I don't know where they're looking. Where are their eyes gazed? Where are they fixed? He wants them back focusing on Christ. And this is why Paul called on this true companion. He called on this peacemaker to help these fellow workers. You know what? To recover the mind of Christ. The true companion is coming in and says, wait, 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 let's stop. Together, we need to recover the mind of Christ because we need to agree in the Lord. Where are you standing? Are you standing in the Lord or somewhere else? This is what the true companion was going to come in and do for Paul. You ever heard the term of reconcilable differences? I think it was like a movie or something in the 80s too. This is where two parties, it could be a marriage, it could be a business partnership, where the two parties are just, it's incompatible. There's too many differences between them for them to continue to work together. And in relationships, in church, a lot of people see our differences, right? They see our opinions, things like that, the way we think things should be. They see these, and what happens is we develop this thing where we think it's irreconcilable. I'm going to tell you right now that the cross cancels out this word, irreconcilable. It's canceled out within the relationships of the church. If two people are standing firm in Christ, it's canceled out. Because we shouldn't fight in heaven. Can I take my battle to heaven, Mike? Mike, can I argue with you in heaven? No. We'll reconcile it here because that is not making it to heaven. You and I are. And I can guarantee you I'm not fighting with anybody in heaven. Amen? Is anybody looking forward to that? Yes. That is beautiful peace. So the cross cancels out this word. So I love this verse in Romans 12, 18. Romans 12, 18. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Guys, Romans 12, 18. All right. Nope, Romans 12, 18. Guys, I'll talk to him after church, I promise. We'll have have a short, quick meeting. All right. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As it depends on you. Where are you standing? Are you in the Lord? Are you somewhere else? See, the reason we talk about living peaceably with all is because our belief in the gospel. It's our belief in the gospel. So let me ask you this. How about you? Do you need to apply the gospel right now and reconcile with somebody? Think about it. Do you need, because the verse says, what? As far as it depends on you. So do you need to apply the gospel and reconcile with somebody? Or are you like the true companion where you can step in and say, you know what? I'm feeling called to help these others reconcile by applying the gospel. Either way, guess what's being applied? Gospel thinking. Gospel thinking restores us. It brings us back into a gospel partnership. Without the gospel, it does not matter. You can be angry with me. I can be angry with you. We can continue our conflict. It doesn't matter. But if we're applying gospel thinking, it all changes. And this is, this is strong. There's the meat in this sandwich. Paul says, hey, rejoice in the Lord. And he says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, what? Rejoice. He says it twice. He repeats this to emphasize this joy. But what really hits home is the word always. Last week, Kevin was teaching us 
Psalm 34. And David had said something to the effect, I will bless the Lord at all times. All times, and he emphasized all times. Rejoice in the Lord always. See, the command to rejoice is always in season. There is always a time to rejoice because for a believer, joy is an undercurrent. It's an undercurrent for a Christian. You and I may experience emotions. I can be super happy and then you deliver me bad news and then I'm sad. But then someone comes and lifts me up and I'm happy again. Emotions come and go. Joy is not one of these emotions. It is a constant. And we may express emotions differently, but we have to remember that when we rejoice, it is a constant as well. For a believer, it does not go away. In fact, this is powerful, joy is not dependent on unpleasant circumstances. Paul is in prison, shackled to a guard, a different guard, every six hours under house arrest. Could you imagine being hooked to somebody? Picture being hooked to me for six hours at a time. That should make you think. That'd be a nightmare for most of you, right? He's shackled, yet he is rejoicing. He has so much joy, and it's an undercurrent for him. It is always moving. Our joy in the Lord is true. It cannot fade. It cannot spoil. It cannot expire. It can't be taken from us. This undercurrent of joy stems from what? Victory in Christ. And there's a reason Paul's bringing up rejoicing right now for these two ladies. There's a reason. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. What a privilege. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way. What a privilege. Not at certain intervals of time, not at certain periods of time, but always. See, we rejoice in what? His character? Yeah, I do. His character, his promises, his love, his provision, his protection, our communion with him. The list goes on and it goes on and it goes on for why we can rejoice in the Lord. But if everything else around us changes, right? And it does. If everything around us changes, we know that the Lord does not He is our unchanging source of joy. See, the world can't attempt to furnish its so-called joy. The world can. Um, Money. Let's talk about money for a second. Somebody wants, is is power hungry for money, so they make enough money, and then they're like, this is not enough, I need more. You can ask anybody that's worldly rich, now I'm not talking about being blessed by God rich, I'm talking about worldly, where where they money, money's their God, okay? If you ask them, they're gonna say, it's not enough, I need more. But so many times, and we all probably have personal stories, so many times, money does not buy the joy that a person needs in this life. It cannot purchase it. Money is not enough. That river runs dry. That source runs dry. What about substances, pill, powder, liquid, the things that alter our state, alter our feelings, right? They do not last. That joy too subsides. Oh, it may be great at first, but you talk to any serious person that has suffered addiction, and they're going to tell you, this is the worst. This is the worst. I'll never get back to feeling the way I did initially, that first high. I can't get back there. I've stolen. I've hurt people. All for this, this, this substance that I thought would bring me pleasure and bring me joy, and it doesn't last. And here I am now, decaying, right? I'm just withering away, and This substance does nothing for me. Worldly joy cannot maintain. Its source always dries up. Yet the undercurrent of joy that comes from our being the Lord, that river runs, folks. It never, never dries up. So joy in Jesus, you ready for this? Christians, joy in Jesus is not optional. It's essential. Think about that. It's essential. How sad it is when a believer lets their way of thinking become a religious allegiance only in their personal relationship with God. That religious uh, religious allegiance only, right? We should, in our relationships with our God and Savior, we should have, have a vibrant, right, joyful devotion. Not a dutiful devotion, a joyful devotion. And Paul is trying to explain this joy and this constant rejoicing so that these two can also apply that. Because where are we at right now? We're standing in the Lord. 
We're agreeing in the Lord, and we're rejoicing in the Lord. So where should our focus be? In the Lord. Let's talk about reasonableness. My Bible says reasonableness, but, but that word means gentleness. I think a lot of your Bibles probably say gentleness. There's something to that word. What a beautiful characteristic for a Christian to have. Gentleness. You know, it brings me, it makes me think back to looking out for others' interests instead of my own self-centered interests. Looking out for others that we talked about in this very letter. Even with our interactions with others, but also our enemies, our opponents. If we were to become more Christ-like, which is our goal, this behavior reminds us that we are to behave what? As citizens worthy of the gospel, and that includes gentleness. Picture this. Have you ever had an argument? Maybe it's even here. Maybe you had an argument with somebody, and it festered. It got a little worse than it ever should have gotten, and then you got to walk by them in the hall. What an icky feeling. They don't say anything to me. I'm not saying anything to them, right? It gets icky. It gets ugly. Like the, the, the soldiers. He didn't want to stand next to that one, so he came down here, and now there's a hole. There's a gap, right? What about this? What if we are in conflict, and I come at you hardcore, and I just start yelling and throwing everything at you? I don't think your response to me is going to be very kind and reciprocate gentleness, right? But what if we're in conflict, and I approach you in complete God-like gentleness? No voices raising. Can we, can we work this? Can we talk? I want to bring this true companion in. Can we, can we work this out? Gentleness is such a good quality for a Christian to practice. To practice. You mean I got to practice it? Yes, you do. Because you're not going to wake up next morning and go, today's the day. I'm going to be gentle with everybody. To try it out, I'll start shopping at Walmart first. Right? No, we have to practice this. And then this is, and, and, oh, you want to talk about a stumper. After he talks about rejoicing in the Lord, letting your reasonableness, uh, your gentleness, I'll say that, gentleness be known, he says what? The Lord is at hand. But it's attached to this. The Lord is at hand, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. But let's go back to let uh, the Lord is at hand. These five words, they have stumped theologians. I didn't realize that it was this bad. Um, and I'm going to present to you my line of thinking. You can have any way of thinking you want in this, because this is, this is where we have to really be careful with interpretation. The Lord is at hand can mean two different things. It can mean the temporal. That means the Lord is at hand. He can return any minute. It's imminent that the Lord's going to return. The Lord is at hand. That's true. The other side is the Lord. It's about proximity. The Lord is at hand. He's near me. He's working in my life through me, through the Spirit, guiding me, leading me, teaching me, bringing me to the place where I can be ready for His return. Now, here's the thing. Both are true. Theologically, both are true, yet we do have theologians that pick sides. Well, no, it's, it's the temporary, it's the temporal. No, it's about closeness, it's about proximity. And my thing is, gentlemen, ladies, whoever you are, um, can't it be both? See, as a pastor, I'm not going to be able to stand up here today and tell you this is the interpretation. I do not know. And there's a lot of people out there much smarter than me that will tell you, guess what? I do not know. When I look at these words, though, I realize a couple things. That I know his return is imminent. I know Jesus is going to make everything right and fix it upon his return, taking me home. Absolutely. At the same time, I also know God is working in my life. It's night and day. I wish you would have known me years ago. You'd have hated me. Years ago, I, would have, I, was, I, was, I was a horrible person. You know why? I can say that. Because I've seen what God has taken and what he's done. Therefore, the Lord is at hand in my life. The Lord has been working on me, making me more like him. And so I look at this text. The Lord is at hand, and I apply both. I wanted you to know that. You're more than welcome to choose one or the other, because both are true, both are right. But I'm not going to stand up here and tell you which one is, because I do not know. But I want to tell you this. Let's have some fun. What if I split our congregation right down the middle. 
Yes, Pastor Mark is causing division. I'm going to split us. Okay, this side right here, Mark, or this side, is my mic go up? Is that just me? Can you put a note that we need to fix this? <laughs> this side right here, guess what you love? You love apples. Apples is everything. And each of you, you got an apple in your hand. Now this side over, you know what you like? Oranges, right? So these, this side loves oranges, and everyone's got an orange in their hand. So the oranges are telling the apples, hey, blah, 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 blah. Oranges are the best. You've got to come to our side. And you're like, hey, no, you're crazy. Apples are the best. And now we're divide, divided in our church because I guess we're picking a church fruit for Grace Fellowship, for the newsletter. I don't know. So we're fighting over apples, and we're fighting over oranges, and you guys are going crazy, and it's escalating. And then I come and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Can I get your attention? Everybody, please just stop talking for a minute. I, got, I just received some news i got to share with you. You all get quiet. You're still holding your fruit, though. You're not letting it go. Those apples. No, this is oranges. And I say, listen, apples and oranges. Um, I have some news. Jesus Christ is here. He's right behind this door. He's right behind this door. He's about to enter and take us all home. I am willing to bet that every piece of fruit hits the floor, right? Apples, what happened? No, no we're, you said Jesus is coming, right? Yeah. No, we're done. Apples. Oranges. What oranges? What are you talking about? Oranges. Apples. All we care about now is what's happening? Jesus is about to enter and take us home. Fruit hits the floor. And I want us to live like that, knowing full well that the Lord is at hand. But at the same time, I want you to see the Lord working in your life, bringing you to this place to understand this. It's both. Okay, that's my thing. Now, we're going to talk about prayer. Paul leads us in the Lord is a hand. He talks about prayer. You guys go, no, the simplest definition of prayer is just communication with God. But he goes further. Paul says, in your prayer, with supplication. Supplication is an urgent request to meet a need that you have. But guys, it's not just about the act of praying. It's our attitude in praying. It's our thanksgiving. It's our grateful heart. As we approach God, we are approaching a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment. And if you're okay, let me just plug this one more time. God is for us. As we approach his throne, we have to remember, oh yeah, God is for me. Do not be anxious about anything, but pray in everything. Now that hits home, because that's convicting to me. Mark, do not be anxious about anything, but pray in everything. Why am I giving anxiety more power than prayer? You ever thought about that? Why am I letting anxiety trump my prayer? No, pray in everything. Do you see the contrast between these two? We can either carry the anxiety on our own, or we can give it over to God to get rid of it. But sometimes hard-headed people like me, maybe you can join that category, sometimes we say, no, I'll carry it a little bit longer. No, we need to God to remove that. This is what Paul wants for Yodi and Satiki. Guys, let your focus be back on Christ. Pray to him about this situation. In supplication, tell him the needs, both of you. But come to him in a thankful heart. You know you stand by side with me for the gospel. You know your name's written in the book of life. Come to him with a grateful and thankful heart as you approach him. But Mark, if God knows what I already need, then why do I have to waste my time or his praying to him? I have heard this, and I hate to say it, I've heard it several times. Prayer is not essential in a Christian's life because God already knows what we need. And then here's my response. I don't know if you'll appreciate this or not. I wasn't trying to be, um, I don't even know what the word is, uh, sarcastic. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be sarcastic. I, wasn't, was Je- I said, is Jesus a vending machine? I mean, Jesus, I'll have M1 and C3, and I walk away. Because Jesus Christ is nothing more than a vending machine when it comes to you know, making your request known. No, I said to them, I said, I have a personal relationship with God, right? I have a personal relationship. And in that relationship, I come to him because I need him to know and he needs to know for me that I am fully reliant on him and fully trusting in him. 
So yes, I come to my, God, uh, to my Lord and Savior who already knows what I need, and I may require every request known, and I get so specific. I bring in the specifics. That's what supplication is all about. All the while, though, I am praising him for who he is and thanking God for where I'm at because of him. So I come with this awesome, grateful, thankful heart, knowing I'm approaching this throne of grace, this throne of beauty, a God who absolutely loves me and died for me. I get to talk to him. So I am not going to take prayer for granted as if he's just some vending machine. I want to spill my heart out to him. These are my needs. And this is what Paul is saying. This is how powerful prayer is. Making our requests known. And you know what happens in this? There is an overflow. There is a result. And it says God will guard your heart and your mind. Now this, this is just, I get amped up when I read this part, okay? Yes, even our hearts and our, mind, our minds are guarded in the Lord. Not only do we stand in him, right? Not only are we standing in him. Man, this thing is driving me nuts. But I love it in the Lord. Okay. Not only are we standing in it, we are agreeing in the Lord, right? We were rejoicing in the Lord, and now privileged Christians, because of the blessing of our Father, we are guarded in the Lord. Why do you think this is important? I'll tell you, think about it like this. Worldly peace, worldly peace is contingent on peaceful circumstances. If you enter the world, if you want to experience worldly peace, peace has to already exist in that circumstance, okay? Worldly peace would have to be constantly guarded from countless dangers. Let's look at Ukraine and Russia, if you're following that. If they were to figure out a way to experience worldly peace together, you realize that how fragile that peace would be, it would constantly have to be guarded, right? It'd have to be guarded constantly because of the dangers from both sides. God's peace is different. Where so-called worldly peace needs to be guarded, God's peace guards us. Did that sink in yet? Worldly peace, that peace has to be guarded. God's peace his peace guards us. Now that makes me want to punch a hole in some drywall. I am amped up when I think about that. I want that to sink in as we go on. Sorry, guys. A little excited. All right. So when we think about God's peace, we have to understand something. His peace is the opposite of anxiety. You ready for this? It's a gospel gift. Peace is a gospel gift. And it is experienced only in Christ and this peace, brothers and sisters, it transcends earthly circumstances, right? It transcends it. It surpasses all understanding. There's a, a wonderful, there's an American preacher. His name is Adrian Rogers. He once said this, we have no right to be believed if we can be explained, right? Us as believers. We have no right to be believed in our convictions and our beliefs if this can be explained. <laughs> I love that. Because God's peace does not depend on peaceful circumstances. In fact, it transcends all natural explanations that would take God out of the equation. We can't be explained. I cannot explain to you that peace because it surpasses all understanding. But regardless, I know it's there for me. Yodia, Sintiki, please, Agree in the Lord. Pray to him so that you're guarded in the Lord. Your heart, your mind. Let that guard you from this anxiety. Let it guard you from the conflict. Let you see that this gospel partnership can come back into play. And look at this. Look at verse 8, everybody. Paul lists eight captivating things, right, that the believers in Philippi, uh, the believers in Philippi should ponder on, that they should dwell on. I'll just read them to you. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise. Paul wants them to look at these things. And you know, if we wrote them all down, I did this week, you may be able to pull one or two out and go and think of somebody or something and say, yeah, 
this is commendable. Oh, this was pure, right? But I was looking at all of them and trying to fill something that covered them all. There wasn't, except for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of these. He perfectly lived them out in his life, every single one of these wonderful things. He is the fullness of all of these, which helps us in realizing something. Follow my crazy brain for a second. He wants us to think about these, but what's the reverse? What's the reverse of these? Things that are false, dishonorable, unjust, impure, ugly, improper, unworthy? None of those fit Jesus Christ, do they? Mm -mm. The life of a Christian should not fit. Those things do fit what stems from conflict and the disagreements that fester and become infectious in a church. Do you realize those things become ugly? Yes. Impure? Dishonorable? Absolutely. These horrible words have no place in the Christian walk if we are standing firm in the Lord. Mm. So Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace of God in the presence of God. Everybody look at verse 7. You see where at verse 7 where it says, and the peace of God? Now look down at verse 9 at the very end. See where it says the God of peace? I love that it sandwiches this stuff in between it. We do have peace through God. We are no longer at war. We are no longer opponents of God. We have made peace with our God because of him, we have peace, but it doesn't stop there. Our peace between God, it overflows into our lives. See, the peace of God and the presence of the God of peace, when the believer practices right thinking, right praying, and right living, this peace becomes ours. And how? It guards us. See, you know what worry is? Worry is the tension between the heart and mind. When we're concerned, worry is the tension between the heart and the mind. But if we meet the condition that Paul is writing about, then our hearts and minds are guarded by the peace of God. I know it's coming full circle, but it's that simple. But we don't make it that simple, do we? Why? Let me say it this way. Outward action Outward action is, let's see, you can't separate outward action from inward, right? From the inward um, attitude, if you will. Usually it manifests itself. Outward action, inward attitude. And when you think about these two things, you realize that sin results in unrest, doesn't it? If we have an issue... Doesn't sin result in unrest? Who's ever had a sleepless night because of an issue they've had with somebody else? Oh, just me? Okay. Well, y'all are doing really good. Sleepless nights are the worst. Sin results in unrest. But the peace of God with, with these wonderful attributes that we practice, what does that bring? It brings peace. Why? Because the effects of God's uh, righteousness results in peace. And he wants Yodia and Syntyche to look first to where they are standing. And then, as they experience this peace, right, they think, they think the same way. They agree in the Lord. They can rejoice in the Lord. They can come to him and be guarded in the Lord. These fellow workers are important to Paul. Very important to Paul. But we have to meet right living. It is a necessary condition to experience God's peace, right living. So he tells them, he tells them, be diligent, be faithful in the practice of what you've learned. What does Paul say? What you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard, what you have seen in me. Paul wants the church in Philippi to be attentive to the totality of what he has communicated to them through both his teaching and his living. The motivation here is that when these things are put into practice, the God of peace 
will be with you. The peace that guards is always with you. And I, why? Because it is connected to the God of peace who is always with us. Again, it comes full circle. That's why I said, look at verse 7 and verse 9. We're talking about the peace of God that comes from the God of peace. We need to experience that even in our church conflicts, even in our personal conflicts. Yodia, Sintiki, please, where is your focus? C.S. Lewis once observed this. If one's gaze remains fixed in the right place, the right action will follow. If one looks only at the action, the burden is placed on the person, right, who is looking at the action. Think about that for a second. A personal willpower, our ability, right, it's a pitiful substitute for God's awesome, limitless, powerful ability. But sometimes we take our eyes off the object and looking at the action only, and guess what happens then? The action and the object vanish. I want to give you a wonderful example. And, and Paul, elsewhere in Scripture, refers to Abraham. I love referring to Abraham. Here's what I'm talking about. When we talk about our gaze, where it's fixed, where our eyes are fixed, Abraham was approached with an elderly, aging body. A dead body, if you want to consider reproducing children. Sarah, too, had this elderly, aged body, a dead womb, in reproducing children. But Abraham's gaze, his faith at the right object, see, Abraham did not allow his gaze to stay fixed on his inabilities. No, the absurdity of his dead body and Sarah's, he did not stay fixed on that. He had learned something about the life-giving power of God. And what Abraham learned was this, that he looked away from his inability and fixed firmly his focus on God's almighty ability, believing that God was able to do what he had promised. That is powerful. Abraham did not look at himself. He did not look at Sarah. He looked only at God, and we know what happened from there. The object of our gaze has either a transforming effect or it has a deforming effect depending on the object. And this is what Paul is saying to these two wonderful fellow workers. I don't know where your focus is, but you're either going to be transformed or deformed by what you're looking at. Put your focus back on God. So, again, the believer should not look to the God of peace I mean, excuse me, I said that wrong. And the believer should look to the God of peace, not the need for peace. And this is why I presented it this way in the bulletin as my title. Dear God, I need your peace. That's where I left you, okay? I'm communicating to my Lord and Savior. I know that I'm coming to him with a thankful heart and a grateful heart. I know who I'm approaching. And I make my request known. I need your peace. I didn't identify peace my peace, or I need peace between me and this person or this. I just said, I need your peace because I'm looking to God and God alone. I know whose peace it is. So dear God, I need your peace. And then I would go into great detail. This is why I need your peace. Here's what's happening. God knows. He already knows your need. But he wants you to rely fully and trust in his powerful ability. Take your gaze, your eyes that are fixed on something else, even yourself, and put it on Christ. And then we go back to the the very beginning, stand firm in Christ. What is standing firm? Well, it's that single-mindedness. It's where our focus is. And this is what he wants for these two fellow workers. Brothers and sisters, in closing, we are to stand firm together, side by side. If conflict arises, we face that conflict by agreeing in the Lord so that all of us can still experience the joy that comes from rejoicing in the Lord. And through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we are guarded in the Lord. And through all that, the result is we receive the peace of God from the God of peace who constantly guards us. Our focus is Christ. Do not take your eyes off Christ. 
if they put their gaze back on, they are going to agree in the Lord. But when we take it off, we drift. And we go this way. And then these beautiful things that God wants us to think about, the reverse happens. It becomes ugly. It becomes impure. This is why Paul is just pounding this home. Please keep your focus on Christ, the object of our affections. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, right now we just first off want to thank you. We thank you right now for this church. Lord, we thank you for the freedom to approach you, your throne of grace, Father. We thank you for everything you've done for us, are doing now, and will do, Lord. We know that you are at hand in our lives both working in us and through us and preparing us for when you return. Lord, we can rejoice in all these things. But Heavenly Father, we know, we know as humans, as flawed humans, that we will have disagreements, we will have fights, we will experience very uncomfortable anxiety and tension. Father, help us address this with gospel thinking. Gospel reconciliation can only come in gospel thinking. Help us remember, Father, that we'll be reconciled in heaven anyways, so let's fight, let's strive to be reconciled now, Lord, so that we can continue being able to agree in you. That way, anybody that enters these doors, Heavenly Father, will see us as lights shining in a crooked, warped, and dark world. Father, let us stand out and be different, and that all starts with our stance in you. Gospel thanking, Lord. I'm praying for that for every heart in this building right now, that we all apply the gospel application to our lives, in our relationships, whether they're good or whether they're fragile right now with conflict. We want to apply the gospel thinking, the gospel application to these relationships. This is what Paul wanted for your church in Philippi, Father. I desire this right now, Lord, for grace fellowship. This is our prayer today, Lord. We pray that you continue to guard each and every one of our hearts against the tension, against the anxiety that causes conflict, Father, that causes division. Let us always look to you. Let us always be fixed on you. This is our prayer, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you for everything. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.